Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. When I'm arrested by that phrase, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. The conditional clause in reference to love. You know, one of my top three favorite sitcoms ever is The King of Queens. Anybody watch The King of Queens? To me, Kevin James is about the funniest human being that's ever lived. And uh, I love The King of Queens. If you don't know the show, it's basically a couple that lives in Queens, and her dad uh, lives in the basement. And so you can imagine. Um, Especially if, you know, Jerry Stiller, the guy who plays that character. But there's this one episode around Thanksgiving that I was thinking about in relation to this, where... Doug and Carrie, the couple, are getting together Thanksgiving dinner, the meal. And they've invited, you know, Deacon and Kelly and and their friends over for Thanksgiving. And um, in the middle of the preparations on that day, there's a knock at the door. And there stands at the door a man who's got a patch, actually, over one of his eyes. And he is asking if he can use the phone because his car has broken down outside. And so, the whole episode is centered around the fact the man calls his friend, family, to come and pick him up, but he won't, they won't be able to get there for four hours. And so, the whole episode is built around what should they do with this man? Carrie doesn't trust him, thinks he looks a little shady, and so she ultimately makes him wait on the porch. Kev, or, uh, Doug is, thinks it's ridiculous and think they should invite him in and actually have the meal with them. And so in this episode, you have the friends showing up and then all of them having their own opinions about what they should do about this guy who now is sitting on the porch, but then weirdly peering in through the window every once in a while as they eat and try to figure out what the right thing to do is with this guy. Right? Neighborhood Watch, talking about this loving God and loving your neighbor. Remembering things like loving your neighbor involves both reaction and proaction. That loving your neighbor will be fleshed out in how I react to how others are treating me, but loving your neighbor is also about how I proactively see my neighbor, maybe their needs, what they uh, could use, the love that they desire, and I proactively move toward them. The scriptures are going to show us that loving your neighbor is both reactive and proactive. Also, the scriptures will tell us, and we're going to really sit on this for a minute, how we love our neighbor is a good indicator of our relationship with God. So we've walked through three weeks so far. First week was that's it. Like we looked at the idea of, okay, so everything in Scripture hangs around loving God and loving your neighbor. And 
Jesus was asked, what does that look like? And so Jesus said, well, I'll tell you what it looks like. Here's a story, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in seeing, hey, that's it. That's what loving your neighbor looks like. We see that loving your neighbor becomes a non-optional, interrupt your life, cost you time, energy, and resources that actually ends up giving you the life mission you were always created to have. Second week, uh, Justin talked about this idea that understanding loving your neighbor as yourself is buying into and understanding that really the (coughs) the whole point of Scripture is to teach us that we is always better than me, that we actually have been We have been given a calling that takes us deeper than ourselves and our own expectations. That how to get to that point where it becomes like an impulse or a natural action to love your neighbor is when you live with a greater framework of life is way bigger than just me. It's we. And once I have that mindset, then... It just kind of naturally follows that, well, if we's bigger than me, then I want to make sure that we is good and not just me is good. That was a whole lot of bad English, I'm sure. You know what I mean? So, like, we is bigger than me. Last week we talked about this idea of understanding love your neighbor is in this phrase, I've got your six. That to truly know what it is to, to be in a community that loves God, loves one another, you surround yourself with people who love you and you love them. And the best way to love people is to do what's best for them. And to do what's best for them is always to help them grow closer to Jesus. Like it's going to be hard to live out love God, love your neighbor if you're around people who always are pulling you away from affection to Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. And so... The world desperately needs to see this idea of the church loving each other and modeling it. And we do that by doing what's best for one another. And that's helping each other grow closer to the Lord. This week, I'm calling it scope and sequence. Any of you teachers out there recognize this? Scope and sequence, right? Probably had a class or two or five in college about scope and sequence. Scope and sequence is simply the idea is we are going to set the parameters of what we're going to teach. And then we're going to set the steps and how to get there. Right? Scope and sequence. Soap and sequence. And so, soap, scope and sequence. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I, I really want this summer to be like... You could look back and say, you know what? They tried really hard to present a full-orbed New Testament picture of what the Scriptures say about loving your neighbor. And I want to talk about the scope of what that is through these Scriptures. Listen to this, this word. This is Jesus Thursday night before He goes to the cross weighty stuff, like those last words, I really need you to grab a hold of this because this is what I've been, this is what this is all about, guys. And this is what he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He would continue on in this talk with his disciples, and we find it in John 15 when he says this, my command is this. He's already said this once, so he's coming back to it again. It's like really important, right? You always, like when you're talking to your kids, like you're trying to teach them something, there's been a, you always come back to those things that are like really important. I really need you to get this. This is the point that I need for you, right? Anybody else like that? I, my kids think I say it about 10 times. Like, okay, dad, I got it the fifth time. That's Jesus here. A new command. A command I give to you. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay one's life down for one's friends. And he's obviously going to model this the next day, right? This is my command. Love each other. The Apostle Peter would say this, above all, that sounds pretty important, above all, like priority list, this is number one, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Listen to the way, the approach that Paul took to life. He said in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, though I am free and belong to no one, He said, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Wow. Like, I'm free, but in that freedom, I'm willing to attach myself to what's best for everyone else. I do this to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. I'm not under the law, but I did it so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although, again, on the flip side, I'm not free from God's law. I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this for all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. What a unique perspective. A new command, love. Above all, love each other deeply. Here comes another person writing in the New Testament saying, listen, I grab a hold of this concept so much that I make myself a slave to doing what's best for you. I mean, this is a picture of, of how to love. And then John, 1 John. John comes along, right? Peter, Paul, John, Jesus. Foundational stuff to understand. And this is what John says. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in 
death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The scope of this love God and love others is this. There is an absence of suggestion. Amen? A new command. Above all, I make myself a slave. This is how you know you are even a believer. If you don't love your brother or sister, you're not a believer. And you ought, these are all words used by these, these writers of the faith teaching us what it is, looks like to love God and love others. And there is an absence of suggestion. I will confess to you personally that I feel like, especially the first part of my Christian walk, that I obsessed over the first part of God's command to love God with all my mind, soul, strength. And I treated the second part as a suggestion. Well, that was easy too. Well, it wasn't easy, but it's easier, right? How hard is it to love God? I mean, perfect. No flaws. And actually now understanding the gospel, God is love, like He offers me new life, forgiveness. I love God. Okay. But the loving my neighbor, that's a little sticky. It's messy. That ain't easy. Because have you seen my neighbor? Have you met my neighbor? I'm not talking about Roger either. Poor Roger's just getting beat up this series and he doesn't even know it. Poor guy. You know what I mean. And yet, foundationally to understanding what it is to be a Christ follower is to realize that it is not suggested. It is commanded that you and I be all in on what it is to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the scope of this. Right? If you were honest, I would say there's probably a good number of you that have been like me. It's easy to obsess about how am I doing with Jesus. Instead of how are we doing with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I can't do the second without the first. Right? We got all sorts of denominations out there right now and churches that have morphed into what we call social gospel. They're trying to love their neighbor as themselves without knowing God himself. They've, failed, they've stopped teaching that you and I must be born again. We must 
first of all receive Christ as our Savior. Right? The same measure, like John's very clear that like, how do I know? John, first John's written so that you know, right? 39 times the word know is used. If the gospel of John was written so that verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 31, he says, I write these things so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ. I write the gospel to tell you who Jesus is. I write this epistle to help you know that you are his. So you know that you know, right? And part of knowing that you knowing is, dude, do you love your neighbor? Do you love your brother and your sister? This is not a suggested extra credit, extra what do they always used to say, the old timers? Jewels in your crown. I don't even know what that means. Like I do, but like, it's not like, hey, you want to make your eternal experience a little better. Love your neighbor. No. Like this is part and parcel. This is core. This is, this is how it all rolls, baby. Loving God and loving So what does that look like? What's the scope of that? I would take you back to the story that we shared in the first week. Remember, Jesus has has given us this picture of two people who pass by this guy who's beaten, broken, bloodied, half dying, left for dead. And he says, you want to know what a neighbor does? You want to know what it looks like to love your neighbor? Not only does he tell us who our neighbor is, it's anybody. It's how do you do this? He uses these kind, of, these kind of sentences, but as a Samaritan, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, and he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, look after him, and he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. The way Jesus tells this story is, hey, it's very startling, Like they would have gotten the fact that, listen, we want to talk about what it looks like to love your neighbor. You need to figure out that everybody's your neighbor. Like Samaritan and Jew here are help. There's a Samaritan helping a Jew. But this is actually then what it looks like to do that. The language is, it's so perfectly precise. And he's like, listen, see this man who's doing his own thing, keeping his own schedule on his own appointment or whatever and he is he sees this need and he responds and when he responds the way this is written he just all he can see is this guy needs my help he loses sight of well if i help him it's going to cost me a little bit if i help him I'm not going to get to my appointment on time if i help him I'm going to be a little bit put out. It's going to be a little inconvenient. No, the language is, is this man sees the need and without thinking but moved with compassion. He took pity on him. Same word, compassion, that Jesus, the, that the father has to the prodigal son, right? He, he, all he can see is I need to do whatever is necessary to help him. So he's either ripping up his own clothes or his second a pair of clothes. 
He's taking no thought. Like, oh, great, I just, I got a great deal on this shirt. I only got four more of these. Like, I don't know if I can use that. I need that for next, I need that for my appointment tomorrow. Realize the way this is written is like, he's not even thinking about that. He's just, like, the wine and the oil that they traveled with for cooking and for, you know, you get a cut. That was kind of the way to, to clean the cut out. Like, it wasn't no, uh, it wasn't no, man, I'm terrible today. There wasn't any, uh, what do they call that? Yeah, the yellow tube thing. Neosporin, yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. Like, there wasn't any of that, man. You needed the wine, you needed the oil to cook with, to treat yourself, to all those things. It says that he is lavishly pouring his out. That's the language. It's not like, well, maybe I can use half. All he can see is this guy is dying. And I got to help him. I mean, now he's walking down the road instead of riding the donkey, right? I've been down that road on a bus. It's not a picnic, I'm sure, on a donkey. He's showing up, taking him to a place. He says, listen, here, two denarii. It's best I can tell reading probably 20 different commentators. It's a month's rent. This guy was in bad shape. Like it wasn't like, oh, he'll just need a night or two here and he'll be on his way. No, this guy is in ICU. It's going to take a while. And I see that and I'm willing, whatever it takes, to have him a place to heal up. And honestly, if I, when I come back through, if I didn't give you enough, here's some more. I'll give you some more. This is the scope of what Jesus says it is to love your neighbor. I was thinking about this. I, I don't think Jesus is saying, I know he's not saying that. If this happens to you also, then do this. Because most of us are like, I've never had anybody on the side of the road beaten. So, whew, I can ignore that story. If it does happen to me, I'll do that. Like, I had somebody get plowed right in front of me, hit, like, by a car, like, 30 miles an hour. Two people a couple years ago here downtown. My natural reaction was to get out and run to them, which was a little scary because I knew that if there was blood, I was going out that I was headed to the hospital on the second or third ambulance. Because I don't do that stuff very well. But I knew there was need. Like, I saw it happen. I could still see the body, like, bent. Anyway. And I got there, and I'm trying to help. And, but all the time in the back of my mind, I know, okay, I'm doing whatever, but they're coming. The emergency personnel are coming. They'll take care of it. Right? This dude was like, I'm it. Like, I got to take care of this guy, and I'm willing to do that. But Jesus uses this picture that transfers into every state of our life. It's not, 
if you see somebody beaten half dead on the road, do this. It's, this is imagery for then, you need to transpose this into every part of how you understand your life. Because 21st century, you don't see this. We'll never see this. So what is it about today that I should clue into? I want to tell you, we live in a world that is emotionally broken. It is. Do you realize the amount of medication that's taken today in this country to help people with emotions? With mental challenges. I have, a, I have a high schooler and a junior higher. And I am overwhelmed already by hearing the stories and watching the play out of the emotional and mental trauma that our, that generation is dealing with. It's only going to continue to get worse. Amen, teachers? Everywhere. People emotionally and mentally oftentimes are beaten, bruised, bloodied, and half dead. That's what their emotional state is. They are the man by the side of the road emotionally. Mentally. Our world is full of addiction. With having so much, the promise of finding life in what we possess and what we can experience has been this lie that has, especially in our culture, that has just compounded itself. And so people are thinking, well, life is in this, and then they are able to experience this, and then they sat there and like, really? That's all it was? Maybe I need to try it again. Maybe I need to try something more. Maybe I need to do this and that. And all of a sudden we have society that's addicted on things, trying to find out what life's about. Rampant addictions all around us. Not just substances, but you know the whole underbelly of our culture with pornography, sexual addiction. It's astounding the amount of money and time today will be spent on pornography in this country. Addicted. Trying to, right? And there are people all over that are beaten, battered, bloodied, and half dead from addictions. Dysfunctional families. Again, we have a lot of school teachers in our church. I have conversations with you. I listen to you talk about sometimes just being overwhelmed by not only trying to teach kids, but then also deal with the fact that many of them come from very dysfunctional homes. And their behaviors are so random and irrational because mom and dad are just, they don't prioritize them. Don't, you know what I mean? Like dysfunctional families everywhere. People are beaten, bruised, bloodied, and half dead. Financially, our world is 
a wreck, especially the last 40 years with the, the advent of the credit card and credit. Like people have just, just, just wiped themselves out into debt. And because of that, it, it's caused all sorts of strains and stresses. And, and then that compounds the emotional and mental. That, it, it, it breaks up marriages, debt, finances. And people are broken, battered, brooded, bru- bruised, and half dead. Because they're just buried financially. Can't get out of their own way. Can't good, make good decisions. Trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. Trying to, Right? People that just could use a good mentor, just even life skills. So many single parent homes that that single parent, I admire single parents so much, trying to be mom and dad. And they're bruised, battered, bloodied, and half dead. This is, this is our Jerusalem to Jericho road that we walk. These are the people that are strewn across our pathway. Even this week, I mentioned at first service, I think... Any time that our culture, our country, which is not the kingdom of God, makes a decision to make it harder to terminate life, Christians should rejoice. Amen? But even in the middle of that, being anti-abortion is, is not the answer. I mean, it is part of the answer, right? Right? But being pro-life is what God calls us to. And thank God that it's harder to take life. But Lord, help me not to take on an attitude that it's like, that was such a huge win. I'd still not care about life all around me, needs all around me. The church has always been huge in fostering and adoption and caring. This is what it means to love. And shame on us if we think that some country's legal action is the answer to the kingdom's problems or the world's problems and the kingdom's solutions. I'm happy that it's harder. But I also realize that's just a part of the puzzle. You see, what Jesus is saying, the scope of this is, I see loving others so clearly, I lose sight of my own dot, dot, dot. I don't know what your own is. You have to answer that. But this man lost sight of his schedule, whatever, his resources, because all he saw is that guy's dying. And I would tell you that a part of how we love our neighbor is seeing all these needs that I've talked about around us 
and being willing to jump in, to love, to meet, to care. It looks different for all of us. Some of us are wired very differently. All of us are wired very differently. But there's a place, I promise you, that this world needs you to love on somebody. They're beaten, bruised, battered, and half dead on the road to life, on the roadway of life. And loving them as Jesus called us to is to come along and be willing to only see, I got to help you. I got to be with you when you heal. I got to, see what I mean? That's the scope. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Listen, I knew it was quiet first service, quiet second service. I'm totally buried by this teaching myself. So let's just let the scalpel of God's word cut, then heal, right? But I really do believe that Our lives and God's calling for our lives is for us to understand more fully and deeply what this is and how to live it. And until we live this, we're always going to be searching. We're always going to live less than. You're going to be 50 or 70 and still feel like you're missing God's purpose for your life. I talk to people all the time that just uh, just kind of wonder what God's will for my life was, plan for my life. I don't want to be that guy. You got one life to live, right? What's that? What's done for Christ is all that matters, or whatever that statement is. I just butchered it. It's a really good statement. You ought to put it on your wall somewhere, but I can't even recite it. Really good. Right? This is important. Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, that you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, loving others, the Scriptures teach us that part of that, the sequence of this, is My attitude, the attitude of my heart should be when I see my brother sin, I'm wrecked. And my only response is to come alongside them. This happens, this hasn't happened very much, or this happens far too too often in the church. Because honestly, religion has rooted itself deeply in the church of Jesus. See, religion is a comparison game. And see, if we're on a comparison game, when my brother or sister sins, oh, that's too bad. But inside you're like, makes me look a little better. Maybe I'm not so bad. I guess I moved up the favor chart with God. I thought they were ahead of me, but now they've slipped down. That's what religion does. I've watched this. I've been a part of religious communities when it was salacious when a brother or sister sinned. There wasn't grieving. There wasn't like, oh my goodness, we got to help that person. It was more like, kind of saw that coming. Or inwardly there's a sense of like, yeah, I always knew I was a little better than them. 
they always tried to act so holy. The kingdom, man, no. Like even those people that rub you the wrong way. You have those people, right? There's people in this room that you rub each other the wrong way, I'm sure. It's life. Your family has that. Any community has people. Like, even those people, you're like, yeah, I just don't like to spend a lot of time with them. A little bit of them goes a long way for me. Those kind of people. Like, in the kingdom, it's like, even those. What can I do to help you? Right? This is how we love. It even goes to this link. Listen to this, Romans chapter 14. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Listen to this. One's person faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else? Verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. I've been through this. I've been in parts of community like, you should not do anything on Sunday. And then another person's like, what are you talking about? Every day is the Lord's day. You ever been in those communities? Like, this is kind of what's going on there. One person considers one day more sacred. Each of you should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the, does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. They give thanks to God, and whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse 7, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we live and die, we belong to the Lord. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life. You then, verse 10, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? We all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, fully persuaded in Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in and of itself. Paul is saying, listen, I realize that food, which has been a whole thing in the Jewish faith, food is there's unholy food and holy food in other religions. He said, at the end of the day, I've come to the realization, I've realized in the Lord that food is food. There's nothing spiritual or unholy about food. He said, I get that. But if someone that I'm with regards that as unclean, they're still hung up on that. For th- then for that person, it's unclean. And if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, don't eat in front of them that you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. 1 Corinthians continues, I have this, I'm not going to read it, but it's basically 
the same idea. Like, these people came out of pagan faiths. And they knew the pagan rituals that, that meat was, first of all, it was sacrificed and blessed by the idol worshipers in the temple. And then they gave the first fruits of that to the temple worship. Then the priest took the meat, took it down to the meat market, sold it so they could make a living. And the meat that you bought a lot of times in the marketplace had first of all been offered to a god. And so Christians who knew this because of their former life began to have these hang-ups like, oh, I know where that meat's been. Uh, I don't think I should eat that. I can't eat that. Right? It became this whole thing. And then others are like, it's meat, it's meat. Who cares? Paul comes along and says, listen, uh, the meat's meat people, you're right. Meat's meat. I don't care if you, if you sacrificed it or gave it to a unicorn. It's meat. Meat in and of itself is just meat. And there is no other God but Him. So don't get hung up on this was, you know, somebody gave this ritual about some God over it. Well, it's like a unicorn. It doesn't exist. Is anybody in here still believing you? What's our age demographic here? Right? But he said, listen, there are people that are truly struggling with this. Because they've experienced this. And it bothers them. He says, the best thing for you to do is if it's bothering somebody, don't do it while you're with them. Here's my illustration of this. My father-in-law, Ron, one of the best men I've ever met. He really is. Ron didn't come to Jesus until he was in his mid-40s. Um, my my mother-in-law came to Jesus when she was 23, I believe, two girls. And for about 20 years, she lived in a home where Ron was an unbeliever. He was very supportive of Donna's faith and the girls being raised that way, but he didn't want anything to do with it. One of the things that Ron uh, was a part of was uh, it was often, Nicole would talk about this happening often, that although he was one of the best dads ever, there would be times where Ron would take off on a Thursday evening with his buddies and they would go on drinking binges and he might not come back till Saturday morning. This is how they enjoyed life, right? His buddies he grew up with. They, and I'm talking drink, okay? West Virginia drinking. Like, probably should have died about three times in that 24 hours, but they didn't. The girls have some stories like as they got a little older, they began to realize what was going on, but they also knew that Ron never wanted them to see him drunk. And so they would on purpose leave lights on at nighttime. So he would drive around the neighborhood waiting for the lights to go off. And they'd go up and go to sleep, leave the lights on. <laughs> or they'd come in at 6 in the morning and run the vacuum sweeper in the bedroom. He's hung over. Just stuff like that. They loved one another very much. But Ron, I mean, comes to Christ. 
And you know what? Ron had created a very bad weakness in his life. He had. Through choices over and over and over, he became very weak when it came to being around alcohol. And so when I met Ron, he'd been a Christian for a number of years, he still was very skittish. And I learned quickly that, like, hey, let's go to Texas Roadhouse. Ron didn't want to go to Texas Roadhouse. Because he walked in and there's a Coors Light sign, there's a Budweiser sign. You get it, you know. There's a bar, people are drinking. He's like, man, I just, I don't feel comfortable there. So we went to Bob Evans. Anybody work at Bob Evans? Or Cracker Barrel. Right? I could have looked at Ron and said, come on, you idiot. Get over it. Ain't nothing wrong eating at Texas Roadhouse. Better food anyway. Come on, but this is what we do, isn't it? You know what I did? I went to Bob Evans. For one, he was my father-in-law. But I knew, that's his hang-up, bro. I don't have to have a steak tonight. I can have whatever they have. That's what he's talking about here. Is the scope of love is to be considerate or even be willing to be inconvenienced. Was it true that Ron had a weakness in his life? Yes. He had created that weakness. But I needed to be mindful of that. You know where we go now to eat? Texas Roadhouse. Because he's, he's moved by that. He's matured in his faith. He doesn't, you know, like he's gotten stronger in the Lord. And he's, so it's not like... You know, like an alcoholic in a bar. Like, don't put them in the bar. It just makes sense. You can tell them all you want. Like, you, they can't. They're weak. We are called to be mindful if somebody's weak. Hopefully they become strong. But until they do, the loving thing for us to do is to be mindful. So, yeah. We eat steaks now at Texas Roadhouse. It's great. But we didn't. And that was okay. Paul is saying this is how it looks to love. In fact, this is what I would say. To love your neighbor is to become comfortable in compassion and in inconvenience. Yeah, I didn't want to eat at Bob Evans. It was inconvenient. Isn't that such a first world statement? So spoiled. We are just, can't imagine what somebody in Africa would think if I'm talking to them right now. So it was inconvenient. But it was loving. I cared more about loving him than getting my own way or doing my own thing or showing my own freedom. Paul has strong words for people who flaunt their freedom. Look at 1 Thessalonians. 
says we're free in Christ, but if you're somebody that's like, bro, I, like, you be careful. That's why, anyway. I'm just going to roll her down right now. That's all I got to say. Forrest Gump, that's all I got to say about that. This is what it looks like, though. I want you to think about these things as we go through this series. How do I love my neighbor? What's the sequence? What are the steps? Well, if, if something I might do bothers them, then when I'm with them, I don't need to do it. Okay. Like, I'm mindful of that. I mean, that doesn't mean you allow somebody to, to control or dictate every part of your life probably need to hang out with a new group if somebody you're with is always offended by everything you do. You're like, hey man, love you bro, but like we're just not seeing everything the same. But if I'm with you, I'm good. I'll eat bread and drink, you know. All right, I need to stop. I had a video, I'm not going to show it, it's 1144. Um, I'll show this video a number of times through the series about kind of a song that encompasses what it is to to bring the kingdom. To bring the kingdom is through every act of love that we do. So Lord, help us. Lord, help us to just continue to think about, to ponder the scriptures, to walk through this summer and walk away and say, you know what, I've thought about what it means to love my neighbor. And this is what God's word says. Lord, I know we can't probably hit everything, but we're trying to hit a lot of things. So, Lord, help us to be willing to see need so much that we begin to to lose sight of our own little agendas and schedules. Lord, there's people that are broken, beaten, half dead all around us. And, Lord, help us to, to be so full of compassion and be comfortable with being inconvenienced for the sake of our brothers and sisters. That it's not even an issue for us. We just love. We love. Please, Lord. This is how this community is going to know that we're your, your disciples. By our love. Our love for each other and our love for them. Work in our hearts in this way in Jesus' name. All God's people said. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 1030 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.